First chapter of Matthew, verses 1 and 2, and 18 to 25. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. in Christ. I send you greetings. I bring you greetings from Olive Street Presbyterian Church, where I have the great privilege of serving alongside John Orlando, which I know is a household name around here. So good to be back uh, to Iron Works. Briefly pray with me again. It's because of who you are, Lord Jesus. It's because of your names given in this passage that we have hope this morning. And so I ask you, O Emmanuel, God with us, for your powerful presence to enable me to preach your word and enable your people to hear and believe and be transformed. And it's because of who you are as Jesus, the one who saves us from out of our sins, that we ask that you would use the preaching of the word and, and the Lord's Supper, these means of grace, to transform us more and more into your likeness and bring hope and rescue to those in bondage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I remember that first Christmas as a new Christian in 2001, as a 21-year-old, going to a Christmas symphony with my mother and brothers. I had heard the songs since I was a kid, Joy to the World, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. In fact, I even knew from memory some of the lines. But for the first time, the content in these hymns hit me. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Oh, just as God promised curse because of Adam's sin, symbolized by thorns, now the offspring of the woman has come to remove the curse and bring blessing. That's what I've been singing since I was a kid. 
Or hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. I was beginning to connect the dots. These rich Christmas hymns that I had been singing since I was in diapers were actually about the promised offspring of the woman coming to crush the head of the serpent and bring salvation to God's people. And I realize it's not just the Christmas hymns that reference these Old Testament promises of the coming Messiah. Rather, the Spirit-inspired gospels in the New Testament begin by connecting the first coming of Christ with Old Testament prophecies and covenant promises. And the climax, brothers and sisters, of all of God's saving promises is God dwelling with us. The climax, the chief blessing of God's covenant relationship with his people is his presence with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's our main point this morning. God dwelling with his people is the fulfillment of the Bible and the climax of your salvation. So I have three G's, three G points for you this morning. The first G is Jesus is the grand fulfillment, the grand fulfillment of the Bible. Notice how the very first verse of the New Testament begins as we read. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew also known as Levi, the former Jewish tax collector, wastes no time in his gospel to show you Jesus is the one, the promised Messiah, the promised son of David and son of Abraham. We know one of Matthew's main burdens in his gospel is to show the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the coming of Christ. And so 10 times, Matthew says that something occurred in the life of Jesus to fulfill the words of the prophets. The first of those is found in verse 22, which we read. But even before, Matthew calls Jesus Emmanuel, fulfilling Isaiah 7, 14. Even before, Matthew calls Jesus the promised son of David, son of Abraham. He goes back even further in history with these first few words. Look with me again the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The Greek word for genealogy is Genesis. In fact, Matthew is quoting verbatim a phrase from the Greek Old Testament in Genesis 5.1, which says, the book of the genealogy of man, namely Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, Genesis 5.2. And when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. What is Matthew doing by quoting Genesis 5.1 in the Greek translation of the Old Testament? It's simply this, brothers and sisters. He's showing Jesus as the new beginning, the new Genesis, the one who brings about God's new creation, the new Adam, the new man, 
the true man, human, who has come to bring about new creation, life, and salvation for his people, who has come to conform his people into the image of God, the promised son of Adam, son of man, the offspring of the woman, who has come through the line of Seth to deliver his people from the works of Satan, sin, and death. Matthew is saying he is the fulfillment of the covenant of grace. And so the new Adam, the promised offspring of Eve, is also the son of David, son of Abraham. Simply put, Matthew is doing covenant theology. He's saying the promised offspring of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent is the offspring of David, who is the offspring of Abraham. He's connecting the dots for God's people. Look with me at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation, that's to the exile, to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So in verse 1, Matthew goes backwards in redemptive history, Jesus Christ to to David to Abraham, And in verse 17, he goes forward in redemptive history. But notice these persons, Abraham and David, are historical markers in God's history of salvation with his people. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with David, and they're all connected in the one covenant of grace. And they're ultimately about God's promise to dwell with his people, to remove their sin and dwell with his people as their God. And so, Jesus, as son of David, son of Abraham, is the promised offspring of Abraham. Let's focus on that phrase, son of Abraham. Jesus is the offspring God promised would come from the line of Abraham, saying in Genesis twenty-two eighteen. In your offspring, Abraham, all the nations, all the Gentiles, all the non-Judah people, all the non-Jewish people of the earth will be blessed along with Jewish people. Galatians 3.16 goes so far as to say that the promises that God made to Abraham were made to Abraham and to his offspring, who is Christ. And then in verse 29 of that chapter, and if you're in Christ, if you're of Christ, then all those promises are yours, whether Jew or Gentile. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. What are some of those promises? Just to summarize briefly, the promise of a saving righteousness, God clothing me in the perfect life credit of his son, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of a circumcised, changed heart by the Holy Spirit, the promise of the inheritance of land, namely the new heavens and the new earth, which is all about what? God dwelling with his people in face-to-face fellowship. I will dwell with them as their God, and they will be with me as my people, we see in Revelation 21. Matthew wants us to know 
Jesus is the promised son of Abraham, and he's also the promised son of David, the promised offspring of David. In God's covenant that he made with David, he promised that an offspring will come forth from his loins, and that this son of David, this offspring of David, will build the temple, build God's house, and will sit on David's throne forever. Like many of God's promises and prophecies in the Old Testament, there's multiple fulfillment. We know David's son Solomon built the actual temple, but he did not sit on the throne forever, did he? And that temple was destroyed. Hence, the deportation to Babylon, the destruction of the dwelling place of God. And so there's one greater than Solomon who would come. And by calling Jesus son of David, Matthew saying, Jesus is the promised temple building king. And how is that fulfilled? So glad you asked. Jesus' human brother, James, interprets the coming of the Gentiles to Christ in massive numbers in Acts 15. He interprets that with Amos 9, where the Lord said, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. That root word for rebuild, Jesus uses, I will build my church, which Ephesians says is built upon Christ the cornerstone, and us, First Peter 2, we are the living stones united to Christ. It's the church. And so, no wonder Matthew wants to dive right in in his gospel, the very beginning of the New Testament, by cutting to the chase. Jesus, the beginning of the new creation, is son of David, son of Abraham. And if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this applies wonderfully to you. Consider who Matthew was writing to, primarily a Jewish audience. And they have not heard a new word from the Lord, a prophetic word in over 400 years through the prophet Malachi, that is. And they've been waiting Waiting, waiting. Some of us have trouble waiting 400 seconds for what's promised to us, or 400 minutes. Imagine waiting 400 years. To summarize Matthew 1 1, God is faithful. Although it's not on our timetable, God is trustworthy. And he cannot lie. He's kept his promises. The Old Testament is sufficient as the word of God, but it's yet to be fulfilled, Matthew's saying. And now it's beginning to be fulfilled with the coming of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, many of you are in a waiting place in your lives, aren't you? You're waiting on the Lord. And we have great encouragement from Matthew 1.1 this morning. God is faithful and he will keep his promises that he's made to his people. Also, if you put your faith in Christ, you are a son of David, 
meaning a child of the king. You are a son or daughter of Abraham if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our second point. God promised that through Abraham's offspring, all nations will be blessed. And so the second G is Gentile Savior. Jesus is the Gentile Savior. No wonder the Gospel of Matthew ends with the resurrected Christ before he ascends to heaven, blessing his disciples and commissioning them, commanding them to go and make disciples of all nations, all Gentile peoples. The Gospel of Matthew is bookended with God's plan for the Savior of Israel, the promised Davidic messianic king, the king of the Jews, is also the Gentile savior and king. This is seen by the fact that Jesus saved Gentiles in the Old Testament. But not only that, some of them are in his family line. And Matthew, in his genealogy, goes out of his way to show that's the case. In Jesus' humanity... He's related to Gentiles. In other words, the ultimate Israelite, Jesus of Nazareth, is part Gentile. Look with me at verse 3 through 6. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. You notice those phrases, by Tamar, verse 3, by Rahab, by Ruth, verse 5, by the wife of Uriah. It means that those in the promised line were born through or by means of these women. Matthew intentionally goes against the norm of Jewish genealogies by mentioning four women, five including Mary, and later in verse 16, not only to show that women are included equally in God's one covenant people, but especially because all four Old Testament women mentioned are Gentiles. I love this quote by Christopher J.H. Wright on this verse. He says, in his long list of fathers, Matthew includes just four mothers, all in the space of verses three to six, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. They were all, from a Jewish point of view, foreigners, Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites. And remember, in the book of Genesis, after Noah is drunk and his son Ham exposes his nakedness, God declares a curse on Ham's son, Canaan. Jesus is part Canaanite. He took the curse on himself for believing Canaanites. Continuing to quote Christopher J.H. Wright, Ruth 
was a Moabites, a Moabites, a Moabite. Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, so possibly a Hittite herself. The implication of Jesus being the heir of Abraham and his universal promise is underlined. Jesus the Jew and Jesus the Davidic Messiah had Gentile blood. Friends, Jesus is the savior of all peoples who put their trust in him. Jesus is the savior of Gentiles. It's literally in his blood. And recall that Israel's mission was always to be a light to the nations. Thus, Jesus is true, faithful Israel, but actually part Gentile. Even in his human genealogy, we see the promised king of Israel as the savior of Gentiles. And Matthew will go out of his way in his gospel to frequently show Gentiles worshiping, trusting in Messiah. Of course, there's the Magi. There's the centurion. There's the Canaanite woman's faith. The Lord Jesus says they will all sit in the kingdom of God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the brief application for us is do not despise your ethnic heritage. Our Lord Jesus does not. The Son of God, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, are the authors of the Bible, amen? And our Lord Jesus has put in his word his ethnic genealogy. And you get the sense that the Lord is celebrating his own multi-ethnic heritage. Jesus does not despise the fact that he is a son of David, the adulterer, a son of Canaanites and Moabites. In the last couple of years, the Lord has really pressed upon my family and I not to despise our ethnic heritage. And I'm grateful for my wife who helped me no longer see myself as just some white guy. When actually, I'm an Irish Polish, Scottish, German, English, American. And that's a part of the beauty of the story that the Lord has woven together as I'm a part of his mosaic. And she is an Angolan Umbundu woman who's a Botswanian American. And so we have categories of, of race and ethnicity in our day and age that often fail to capture the rich beauty of God's grand plan to unite together under one head, Jesus, people from every tribe, clan, land, language, and nation. And it's seen in his genealogy, the reversal of Babel, the scattered nations coming back together in Messiah, and it's even seen in his genealogy. So then, Ephesians 2, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the holy ones and members of the household of God. The Gentiles are fellow heirs, Ephesians 3, 6, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Yeah, but you don't understand, Tim. I am so wicked. 
I am so sinful. My past is so stained. I carry such a burden of guilt around. There's no way I could become a part of Jesus' family. You want me to consider my identity as in Christ and he's my family tree? I would ruin the whole thing. Well, if you think you're too wicked for Jesus, think again. Who are the people mentioned in his genealogy? Three of the four women mentioned were sexually immoral women. Tamar and Rahab were prostitutes. Bathsheba committed adultery with David. Even if she was forced or pressured to as the primary blame is on David, Jesus is son of David, yet without sin. And so Jesus calls you to himself. His grace is greater than your sin. Although he's fully human, Jesus is also God with us. And that's our third point, our third G. Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. This raises a question. How is Jesus, God in the flesh, how is Jesus God if he was born of a sinful woman? Answer, twice we have the phrase that Mary had a child from the Holy Spirit in verse 18 and verse 20. The Holy Spirit kept the sinfulness of Mary from being passed on to the child in her womb, the immaculate conception. I'm from Pittsburgh where Frank O'Harris had the immaculate reception, that's in the 1970s, but this is the immaculate conception. The Holy Spirit guarded Jesus from being contaminated by the sinfulness of Mary. Verse 18 says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. It means they were solemnly promised to become husband and wife, yet the wedding day had not come yet. The text says Mary was pregnant before they had come together, which would not occur until the wedding night. This is before that. And therefore, Joseph feared at first, Mary must be pregnant from adultery. She must have been with another man. And he was going to quietly divorce her until an angel revealed to Joseph the child in Mary's womb was from or by the Holy Spirit. The glory of the incarnation. God the creator supernaturally, miraculously bypassed the normal means of bringing about a child through a human father. Instead, by means of his Holy Spirit, bringing God the Son into Mary's womb in order for her to conceive and become pregnant. God the Son took upon a human nature in the womb of Mary. When did God the Son take upon a human nature? Was it when he was born in the manger? Before that, in the womb. And isn't it striking how the incarnation gives a death blow to the arguments people make to kill children in the womb. Because according to them, they're not human beings yet. False. God the Son was a human 
the moment of conception. And so is every other child conceived in the womb. Intricately woven together by the Lord in the womb of a mother. Notice in verse 22 that the virgin birth of Christ took place. One of the reasons was for this reason. In order to fulfill Isaiah 7:14, that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son, and that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in Isaiah 7:14, literally, the with us God. Im, Hebrew preposition means with used over and over and over again in God's promises. I will be with you. I will be with you. Do not fear. I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. It's in his name, the with us God. And it's striking that our Lord Jesus Christ, after dying and being raised and ascending to heaven, tells Paul in Acts 18 during his missionary journey, do not fear, Paul. I am with you. He is Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, who has come to dwell with his people. In short, Jesus being named God with us is the fullness of God's presence with his people. Jesus is the covenant presence of God with his people. As our worship leader asked the kids, are you excited for Christmas? Are you excited for presents? Well, the greatest of all presents is Emmanuel, the presence of God. God with us. Recall, God dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall with the promise of never-ending eternal life fellowship with him if they obeyed him. That was the covenant of works, also called the covenant of life. But Adam and Eve broke the covenant of works when Adam sinned against God and he and his wife were exiled from his holy presence. Similar to the situation Israel is in now. Oh, Matthew is rehearsing the history of Israel, the birth of Jesus. But God made a second covenant, a covenant of grace. And the rest of redemptive history recorded in scripture shows God faithfully working out his promise to dwell with his people in covenant fellowship by grace. And as you turn through the pages of the Old Testament coming into the New, you see him getting closer and closer and closer to his people. And now he has come in the flesh, Emmanuel. God's people have not been faithful, but the Lord has. See, the Lord Jesus Christ not only fulfilled the covenant of Abraham and the covenant of David, but the covenant that God made with Israel at Sinai by keeping the Ten Commandments in our place. And the Lord Jesus Christ has come to fulfill the temple presence of God Emmanuel, the with us God. Have you noticed? Matthew is also bookended by the promises of God's presence with his people. Emmanuel, chapter one, God with us. Matthew 28, I will be with you always and forever. The presence of God with his people by grace. And so 
This Christmas season, many of us will be overwhelmed with loneliness and sadness. Many of our neighbors and friends and coworkers and family members, they won't be rejoicing. They will be in desperate sadness because Christmas reminds them of their loss. Friends, look to Emmanuel, God with us, and point your neighbors and fellow mourners to him. The friend closer than a brother. You may have a hundred friends on Twitter and Facebook. Many of them aren't real friends, are they? But here is the ultimate friend, our God, Emmanuel. And maybe you don't have many friends, but if you have Emmanuel, you have all you need. What does it mean for God to be with you? It means he promises to strengthen you in weakness with his all-powerful help. He will comfort you in your sadness. He will rescue you from temptation. He will encourage you in your anxieties. He will listen attentively to your cries and speak back his word to you through scripture. But wait, stop the presses. We should be asking another question. How can this holy God dwell with sinners? Here's why. It's because him who shall be called Emmanuel has another name in the passage, doesn't he? Verse 21. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The only reason Jesus can be our Emmanuel is because he's our Jesus who saves us from our sins. Otherwise, we could have nothing to do with the holy God who must punish sin. He will save his people from their sins more than just a prediction. He must. Have you ever noticed his name is a promise he must absolutely, definitely save his people from their sins. An unbreakable promise rooted in the covenant of redemption, planned and ordained in eternity past by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sovereignly carried out in history, guaranteed by the spilling of blood. He will save his people from their sins, that is, from out of their sins. What does it mean that you're saved from your sin? It means, first of all, you're saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've repented and put your faith in him, from the penalty of your sins. The wages of sin is death, which is why Christ died and said, it is finished, paid in full, paying our sin debt on the cross when he died in our place. He will save his people from sin's enslaving power. If you've put your faith in Christ, sin no longer rules over you. Jesus does. You do not have to give in to temptation. And yet, we're not completely delivered from sin's presence yet, are we? And so he has come to save us from sin's practice so that we do not have to give in and helping us when we do give in to repent and learn again. Christ. He will save his people from their sins because his name is Jesus. That's why he can be our Emmanuel. God with us 
and by the Holy Spirit, God in us, to dwell in us. Brothers and sisters, in closing, the Lord Jesus Christ and his presence with you is the climax of your salvation. All the blessings of salvation are a means to an end to bring you to Christ. We get Christ as the heart of the covenant of grace, the chief blessing of the covenant who will take us with him to Emmanuel's land in fullness of glory when he comes again. So enjoy the greatest Christmas gift, Christ himself, his presence with you forever. Let's pray. Emmanuel, we are in deep need of you and we thank you that you are all we need. And we thank you that you are also Jesus, the one who saves us from out of our sins. And Lord, we thank you for your presence with us now in the Lord's Supper as your spirit dwells with us and in us. So Lord, continue to feed us with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.